Hi everyone, Demetrius McRae here, your online campus pastor here at Calvary Christian Center. Welcome to our podcast. As we are in our season of healing, just so you know, we are worshiping on campus and making sure that our worship experiences are safe and sanitary. May today's message bring healing, hope, and ultimately transformation. Hope you enjoy the message. The truth is the only way you know something is better if it's good just keeps on getting gooder because some of us can testify that God has been good but every time we keep on coming back to the God who's already been good he just keeps on getting better and better and better and better in every place of my life that I've ever had God touch God was better to me than I could have ever been to myself and I just wonder one more time in this room through all this praise and worship if there's anybody that can say God I know you've been good but I'm ready for better 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 in my family better in my mind better in my life I'm ready for better if you're ready for better somebody give God some praise right now hallelujah well, if you're not standing, if you could, or if you're able, just jump up on your feet one last time. I, I promise I'm going to be standing a whole lot longer than you. Amen. And uh, it's good to see you. Anybody excited to be in church today? You're excited to be in the house of God. You look so good. Man, look what the Lord is doing. Uh, I don't know about you, but you can't be bored at Calvary. Come on, somebody. We got stuff for you on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all the way through the week. And the truth is, the, the truth is, it's time to start participating in what God is already in and working in. And, and it's not time to be on the sideline. It's time to get in the game in Jesus' name. So I, I just encourage you to be a part of what God is doing, not just seeing and spectating about the things of God. I feel like preaching just a little bit. Can I preach it like I feel it today? Did anybody come hungry for the word of God all the way up in the balcony? I see you. God's going to move. I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of John, the book of John chapter 15. And let me just say how honored I am to stand behind this sacred desk. And if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Josh Carter. I am the associate pastor right here at Calvary Christian Center. And there's Sundays you see me and there's Sundays you don't. I'm not just hiding out from church, y'all. I'm going to all of our other locations. How many know that we have five other locations across the country in, in Florida? Uh, New Smyrna Beach, Palm Coast, Racine, we everywhere. And how many know Calvary ain't finished? We're going to take over in Jesus' name the kingdom and uh, they need preaching like you get too so somebody's got to go there and that's where I am on some of those Sundays but uh, I've been asked grace with the opportunity to preach to you today and I feel like God has spoken to me I don't know about you but I'm also thankful for our pastors our leaders pastors Jim and Don Rayleigh if you love the leadership of this church it'd be a good place for you to make some crazy noise so they can hear you pastors preaching in Jacksonville but we still got Pastor Dawn if you got Pastor Dawn you got what you need to have a good Sunday amen uh, I told the nine o'clock service this but I've learned so much about touching God about praying about seeking the face of God through Pastor Dawn and uh, truly you are anointed and I honor every part of who you are in the kingdom thank God for your life uh, I'm ready to preach just a little bit y'all ready to go in this journey with me uh, John chapter 15, familiar passage of scripture, red letters, Jesus is speaking. And these are the words of Jesus this morning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine and you are the branches he who abides and me and i in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned but if you abide in me and my words abide in you you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples and as the father has loved me i have also loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things have i spoken to you that my joy that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you god sent me this morning with a word, nay, a question. In a text that uses the word abide 15 times, God sent me with a question to you to ask you, how is the state of your union with God? What is the state of your union with God? So if you're looking for a title, I wanna preach for just a moment on the subject, the state of the union. Whew, I feel him. Can you slip up your hands? Father, I sense you in this room. I feel your anointing. I sense your presence. God, let us open our ears and our spirits, Lord, to receive, Lord, what your precious word has to say. Today, God, I ask you, Lord, speak boldly and loudly. But, Father, I ask one thing. Let your word change us from the inside out, God, so that we don't think the same, walk the same, act the same, or live the same, so that we are never the same. In Jesus' name, we give you all the praise. And if you believe it, somebody say amen. You can be seated and ask your seat and look at somebody and say, what is the state of the union, the state? of the union the state of the union as we move into this next great move of God in this season of revival we must understand that one of the greatest responsibilities that is that is going to be handed to those who uh, take on and steward this move of God is that we must be the kind of people who get back to reestablishing God's intended standards how many know God's got standards are you too quiet on me? I said, how many know God's got standards? Uh, God has some standards. These standards are not like the world's standards. They are not carnal standards. They are not standards like who you see on TV or from Hollywood. God's got his own set of standards. And if we are going to be called believers in the day that we live in, and we are going to see revival and the move of God, we must be the kind of people who first reestablish God's intended standards. Yes, God's intended standards should be your priority God's got some standards standards like faithfulness oh come on somebody I said God's got some standards like faithfulness uh, how many can testify in the room this morning that God has been faithful no, no, not, not sometimes here and sometimes there. The truth is that's what people do. People can come and people can go. But if you look back over your life at who was still there in the middle of chaos and, and craziness and crisis, you will find that God was who he said he was because God's standard is faithfulness. God, God's got standards, faithfulness. God's, God's got standards, holiness. 
God is a holy God. More than just a faithful God, he is a holy God. He has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not mitigated his holiness or delegated his holiness. God still is the God who is holy. And God expects his people, his sons and daughters, to be holy as he is holy. Oh, I know you don't want me to preach it, but the truth is God's standard for your life is still holiness. Uh, God still expects us to be a set-apart people. I'm going to preach it whether you amen me or not, but God still expects us to live in such a way that the world can tell the difference uh, between us and the world that we live in. We are not called to be like everybody else. Uh, we are called to be a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, that when they see us, they see God, because if God is holy, let it be said of us that we are holy holy as well the problem with intended standards and the reestablishing of intended standards is you can't get back to his intentions as long as you got a death grip on traditions the one thing that sidelines most believers into stepping into God's intention is when we get a death grip on tradition. It's the moment when we say, since God used it once, that will be the thing God always uses. But if you live your life in God long enough, you're going to realize that there are some seasons God will use something, but then he'll move on and use something else that you never saw him use before. And it's dangerous to try to step into a next season holding on to yesterday's anointing. You want some word for that? Hey, Samson, I'm going to put in your reach a jawbone. I'm going to let you use the jawbone to slay Philistines. You're going to use it, and it's going to work. Y'all miss what I just said. You're going to use it, and it's going to work. Because the truth is, anything God anoints works. <laughs> That's why one of the greatest things you can ever be in the kingdom is anointed. Because if God anoints it, it won't fail. It has to work. Anointed people only see success in the kingdom. It doesn't mean that they don't ever fight a battle. I feel like preaching. It doesn't mean that they don't ever go through anything. The thing is, when you're anointed, you can go through it, but it can't come through you. You'll be successful because you're anointed. The problem is Samson used it, but he had enough discernment to know that the anointing wasn't in the jawbone, it was on the jawbone. Which means every once in a while, I got to take inventory. What's God still in and what's God not on anymore? And if God's not on it anymore, I got to learn to let it down. Because when he dropped the jaw there, baby, he was able to drop his jaw in another direction and see an earth-shattering move of God for his nation. Nothing kills intention like tradition God's got standards but perhaps the standard that you don't hear preached anymore and the one I came to give you today the one that has to become the most prevalent and relevant to your life in this season is God's standard of fruitfulness see how quiet it just got because the truth is you are called to be fruitful and not just called to be fruitful, you are commanded to be fruitful in your life. Uh, to be attached to God and to not be profitable or fruitful is a sin in the kingdom. 
Oh, it's quiet, but I'm going to preach it anyway. It's a sin. How do you know that? 30, 64. He gave some guys some talents. One buried it, said, I didn't lose it. God said, but you didn't gain anything either. He called him an unprofitable servant. Lord, let it never be said of us in 2021 that God was on the inside of us, that we were connected to God, but we weren't fruitful. We didn't bear any fruit. The devil is a liar. Let me tell you what the world is waiting on. They are waiting to taste and see that the Lord is good, but they will never taste and see if there is no fruit to taste oh don't miss what I just said how can they declare that he is good that he is who he says he is unless there is some fruit on our life somewhere that they can pluck and see that God is who he says he is Look at your neighbor and say, be fruitful. Be fruitful. Be fruitful. Be fruitful in every area of your life. It's time for you to be fruitful. Be fruitful. And the reason why we jump over being fruitful is because most of the church is enamored with being gifted. Uh, Preach, Pastor Josh. I said most of the church is so enamored with being gifted that we forgot that the call is to be fruitful. We were on a stage in a microphone not knowing that God does give gifts. Yes, he does. You're gifted. I said you're gifted. I know the devil don't want you to know it. I know the demons have tried all week long to tell you you're not, to, to tell you you're a product of your past, you're a product of issues, but I came to tell somebody despite what the devil said and despite what happened to you and despite what you've been through, the truth is you are gifted. Somebody say I'm gifted. I'm gifted. I'm not gifted of my own standard. I feel like preaching just a little bit. I'm not gifted in my own standard. I wasn't gifted by myself. Nobody handed me the gifts I have today. My gifts came down from the father above from the moment of my conception and the first breath I took I am gifted and because God gave me the gift no devil can take away my gift no demon can pull this gift from me in fact hell shudders at the thought of you knowing you're gifted and the day you use the gift he's given Look at somebody say, I'm gifted. I'm gifted. But the problem is we have been so caught up in being gifted and our gifting that we have missed out on the call to be fruitful. We understand that God gives gifts, but please know he gives gifts, but he grows fruit. giftings happen in a moment I put a gifting on your life I open up heaven I drop gifts on you but it comes to the fruitfulness of your life God doesn't give fruit he grows it oh as the best farmer gardener in the world God can grow fruit the problem is God grows fruit according to your yielding and your obedience not your timeline and the reason why some of us are not effective in God is, oh, come on, am I helping anybody this morning? The reason why we are not effective in God is because we would rather have the mic in the stage than go through the process of God growing the fruit. And we wonder why people don't want what we got. It's because we keep handing them immature fruit. And they don't like the way that, oh, come on, somebody. They don't like the way that tastes. They don't, that's not a good representation of God. Therefore, they give up on God and they give up on faith because you wanted something you weren't ready for. The call is to be fruitful. God will take you through a process to make sure you have the integrity to keep the gift he gave. What good is it, oh, come on, I just ain't in my nose, but what good is it for God to give you stuff that you can't keep? What, what good is it for God to keep blessing your life with stuff your character can't uphold? 
The objective then, the standard is not just being gifted. The standard must be that I become fruitful. Look at somebody say, God is going to make you fruitful. God is going to make you fruitful. That's what I'm after in 2021. Make me fruitful. If you're going to look at my life, I want you to find some fruit. If you're going to look at my life, I want you to find some love, some joy, some peace, some long-suffering, some gentleness, meekness, kindness. God wants to get some fruit off of you before you leave this earth. Fruitfulness. Can I go deeper? And the other issue with fruitfulness is, to be fruitful, you have to be relational. If you're going to be fruitful, you're going to have to learn how to love people all over again. Me, you know, me and my wife, we're married. That's why I called her my wife. Amen. We're married, you know. So we do married people things, you know, and the result of that one day, children, in the name of Jesus. But let me tell you something. I can't have the fruit if I don't have the relationship. All right, let me make this more palatable for all the married folks who are tense right now. It takes a bee cross-pollinizing and cross-pollinating to make sure that the fruit gets born. It takes connection and relationship. And some of you are saying, God, why am I not fruitful? Because you don't want to be near nobody, help nobody, touch nobody, be a part of anything. You don't want to be a part of a small group. You don't want to come. to Y'all ain't saying nothing. You don't want to serve. And what you don't understand is some of the fruit God is trying to get out of your life is not in how many services you attend. It's the connection you're going to create while you're here. Because if you can learn how to connect, please know iron cannot sharpen iron until iron is willing to touch iron. What if I told you that your next level in God is not tied up in what you do, it's who you connect with? That the next anointing and the next big thing God wants to get from you is tied to how well you can connect away with this Lone Ranger for Jesus movement that tells you you don't have to connect to church, you don't have to come, you can just do what you do and God will bless you. The devil is a liar. If you want real fruit that the kingdom likes and that God aspires to, you're going to have to love being in here with God's people and you're going to have to learn how to love serving with one another despite somebody's race, despite where they come from, despite their background, despite their past come on somebody preaching me but I came to tell you if you're gonna see fruit in your life you're gonna have to be willing to connect fruitfulness is tied to your ability to relate oh pastor Josh why are you talking about fruitfulness because this is the backdrop of the text I bring before you God in John 15 is not talking to unbelievers Jesus is not talking to the unbeliever. This is not even a mixed crowd. Jesus is talking to believers. It is some of his final words to his disciples about what they are to do and who they are to be when he leaves the earth. God is trying to tell people, this is my intended standard of living once I'm gone from your sight. John 15 is not about salvation. It's about fruitfulness, which is why God chooses the backdrop of agriculture. God loves agriculture. If you read your Bible right, God always talking about seed. Come on, somebody. 
He's always talking about gardening. He's always talking about field. He's always talking about harvest. God loves agriculture, but you won't appreciate that until you understand the meaning of agriculture. Agriculture, agra, meaning earth. Culture, cult, meaning forced upon. In other words, what, come on somebody. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is everything God does concerning the seed called your life, he does it intentionally. Nothing he does is a mistake. Wherever he planted you, where he planted you wasn't ready for you, but God planted you there anyway. The fact that you're in that family, the fact that you're at that job is not a mistake. The fact that you were raised the way you were raised is not a mistake. The fact that people left you the way they left you and did you the way they did you is not a mistake. But God looked for somebody that could bring some change in the earth. He looked at some bad ground. He said, but if I can get good seed in some bad ground, this kind of seed will be so supernatural that it will change the ground and the environment. I came to tell somebody, you are not a mistake that the devil is a liar. Wherever he's got you, you are perfect for that environment and you are called to bear much fruit. Look at someone say, I'm not a mistake. Uh, I'm not a mistake. No matter what you've been through, you're not a mistake. No matter what they said about you, what they did you. Come on, I feel like preaching just a little bit. You're not a mistake. The Father planted you there. The ground wasn't ready for you. Nobody was ready for what you had, but God still planted you there. And you are called to be the change agent for that environment. So somebody ought to get happy, not sad, not miserable, not mad. Don't get mad at the family. Don't get mad at the boss. Stand up there and say, I'm the seed. That's going to change this whole thing that by the time God gets done with me I'm gonna be a blessing to everything around me he chose agriculture agra to force upon the ground and then makes this statement Jesus red letters makes the statement I am the vine no 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 I am the true vine He said, first things first, let me make a differentiation between me, the vine, and every other vine you've ever seen. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me draw some contrast and let you know that every worldly vine you've seen is incompetent to be like me. It'll never be like me. Let me let you know that every religious vine, uh, oh, is still too incomplete to ever measure up to who I am. That's the beauty of Christianity. That's the beauty of Jesus is that there will never be anybody like Jesus. Oh, come on, somebody. I said, there will never be anybody like Jesus. There is only one Jesus because there is only one way and there's only one God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. He is the only true source of fulfillment and the true place that you can find satisfaction for your soul. Forget every other vine that promised you they could fulfill you. If they're not the true vine, it won't last. Uh, Preach, Pastor Josh. I know this is unpopular preaching, but the truth is you have to understand you're not going to be fruitful with one foot in the world and one foot in God. You're not going to be fruitful trying to get his stuff and doing your own thing at the same time. You have to know he is the true vine. The call of him being the true vine is to tell us that there is no other vine that can provide for your life the things you really want other than Jesus. I am the true vine. Can I go deeper? And then he says, my father is the vine dresser. Vine dresser is a big dressed up word for gardener. 
I am the vine. My father is the gardener. The first thing that that tells me, the implication of him being, is that he's going to give the same care to me as the branch as he does the vine who is his son. Oh, y'all miss what I just told you. Is that God doesn't delegate his care. God doesn't give you half the care he gave his son. Come on, somebody. He's not going to give you half the care that he gave Jesus on the earth. He's not going to give us three quarters of the care. But rather, the fact that you are his son and his daughter means that the fact that you're connected to his son, heirs, and joint heirs with Jesus, meaning that every ounce of care that Christ got is the same kind of care you're being cared for today. I want to tell somebody he still cares. He still cares when nobody else cares. He cares when people say, I don't want to be involved. He cares when everybody runs away and says, that situation's too messy. God will be the only one standing there at the end of the day and shouting in your face, I care. Is there anybody that can thank God in this room for just a second that God cares about every aspect of your life? In fact, some of the praise that I give God is not for what I think he's going to do. Some of the praise I come in here with is the fact that he cares. The fact that he cares that the situation might not be fixed. The situation might not be what I want it to be, but I don't have to worry today. I don't have to live in fear or anxiety. Why? Because he cares. Somebody ought to give God some praise for his care. But it's deeper. Can I go deeper? Him being the vine dresser is more than him saying, I care. I don't delegate my care. It's also to tell you that it implies that God, watch this, is protective about what's his. And as much as I praise God about the fact that he cares, I have to give him a greater praise for the fact that he protected me whew, from some stuff that was after me. If you want to know why some of us lose our minds in this room every once in a while, while we run and while we dance and while we shout a little bit, it's not because we're Pentecostal. It's the fact that some of us got a doctor's report that got waved off because before the disease could ever get to us, God got to the disease. Before the issue ever got to us, God got to it. And every once in a while, you ought to come in here with the kind of praise that says, God, thank you for keeping me. I wouldn't be here today had you not kept me and protected me. In fact, if God has ever protected you, I dare you to take 10 seconds and thank him for everything he protected and kept you from that didn't get to you. Oh, come on, not just the things you saw, but the things you didn't see. The times where the enemy was coming in for the kill and your peripheral. And the enemy thought he had you, but God stepped in just at the right time. And no weapon formed against you was allowed to prosper because God is a protector. He thwarted every attack of the enemy because he's my protector. The vine dresser, the gardener is not just caring, he's protecting. Can I go deeper? He's also, it implies, he's faithful. He is a faithful God intended on seeing your life yield maximum fruit. And most preachers will tell you those two. But perhaps the one thing, the implication that I saw in this text, just at him being the vine dresser, that I think is the most profound, is yes, he cares. Yes, he protects. Yes, he's faithful. But he's also watchful. God is watchful. He is not just the God that watches over us. He is also the God that looks at us. And everybody gets real happy 
when you talk about the God who watches over you. But some of us have failed to realize as much as he's watching over, he's also looking at. <sighs> looking to see how much fruit you've been bearing. Looking to see if you really live in this thing like you ought to be living this thing. He's peeling back the branches. Y'all ain't saying nothing. He's peeling back the branches, lifting up the leaves, seeing, did they get it? Do they know they're a son and daughter? Have they figured out who they really are? Is there any fruit at all in their lives? I mean, they've been going to church now for six months and there's no fruit. They've been going, oh, they've been in a small group and now they're not even leading one. How are they not bearing fruit? He's not just watching over us. He is watching us. And you can fool us, but you can't fool him. You can come in here Sunday and do a church dance and shout and pretend like you got it going on. But the truth is, if you're not living Monday through Saturday, what you are expressing on Sunday, he's watching. Are they living according to biblical standards? Are they living according to my word? Are they living according to what I said? Are they living? Is there any fruit? He's watching. He's watching. I came to tell somebody he's watching. He's watching. You can fool us, but you can't fool him. He's watching your life. Well, how do I know he's watching? Because the next verse says, And every branch that doesn't bear fruit he takes away. If you don't think God is watching your life and watching your fruitfulness, if you don't think my whole introduction mattered, then why would Jesus make the statement, if there's, if there's a branch that doesn't bear fruit, I'm taking it away. Taking it away is a hard thing. My father takes it away. Can I just do a quick little sidestep for a second? And just preach this for a moment. The text said the father takes it away. You don't have a right to cut anybody out of your life. You don't reserve the right to kick somebody out of your life. Ooh, help me do it, Holy Ghost. Because we live in this hater theology world that's crept into the church that we shout over the fact that we are kicking people out. God says we should be connected to. And just because you're in one place and they're another and you haven't merged yet does not give you the right to tell them don't come back. Can I be more real? We block people, we post people, we, we sub-post against people, and we tell people, we say, God, this person should, it shouldn't be. The devil is a liar. You don't reserve the right. The only person that can take them away is him it's tight but it's right because there's a deeper meaning than me than, than, than it's saying he takes it away everybody thinks he cuts it off but if you really understand the Greek the Greek here is not saying he takes out shears and cuts it off completely the Greek word is the word arrow meaning he lifts it up Help me do it, Lord. He lifts it up. In other words, before God would ever cut you off, his first inclination is to lift you up. God is the kind of good God that he wouldn't cut, even though you're not bearing fruit, he's not gonna cut you off. The first thing he's gonna do is he's gonna lift you off the ground. He's gonna lift you out of low places and lonely places, and he's gonna prop you up. Come on, somebody, against himself. He's gonna prop you up, why? Because God wants to give you every chance possible to bear fruit before you die. I wanna tell somebody that the only reason that I'm here today is because he lifted me up. 
Oh, come on, somebody. Don't be religious on me. I want to tell somebody the only way I made it through the dark days, the depressing days, the struggling days, the no fruit days is God lifting me. I couldn't lift myself, but yet he loved me enough not to quit on me or give up on me, but he loved me to lift me so that I could bear the fruit and become who I'm called to be. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Love lifted you, but I want to tell you, love is still lifting you. If you don't find any reason to praise God the rest of the service, you should praise God right there that he is still lifting you despite your unfruitful self, disobedient self, rebellious self, despite your mistake-driven self, despite your imperfect self. You could have never bore fruit, but he just keeps on coming and keeps on loving and keeps on lifting. Is there anybody that can give God some praise for the love of God that lifts you? Oh, come on, somebody, take 10 seconds uh, and thank him for every time he lifted you. He lifted you despite what you were looking at, uh, despite how you were talking. He lifted you. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, I lift up before I cut out. He said, but for every branch that bears fruit, can I preach it like I feel it? He said, I prune. When I read that, Pastor John, it frustrated me because I thought he said every, I thought he was going to say every branch that bears fruit, I bless. He doesn't bless you. He cuts on you. Wait a second. That smacks in the face of Christianity that's taught in most churches that this is a great big bless me club, that God only exists to bless you. In fact, when God really wants to bless you, according to this text, he cuts you. He, he prunes you. God's reward for you being fruitful is his pruning. Well, why is that? how is that a reward when you're taking scissors to me? Because God just doesn't want fruit. The Bible says he wants more fruit. And the only way God can make you more fruitful is to cut back in the area. Come on, somebody. To cut back in some areas so that you can just grow, not just grow more fruit, so you can grow a better quality fruit. Because the truth is, taste and see should also mean taste it till it tastes so good. I have no other way than to keep this flavor in my mouth. He said, your reward for success is cutting. But as scripture does, it's deeper than that. Because as much as we saw the arrow with he takes away, the Bible says that in this moment of pruning, he calls it katharo. Katharo, katharo. Because cutting here is not cutting. Cutting for the fruitful branch is cleansing. Cutting isn't cutting, it's cleaning. 
In other words, when God cuts this branch, he will snip a couple places. But ultimately, his goal is not to cut on you. It's to clean you so that you can keep this system between you and him still flowing to a point where you keep growing fruit despite outside circumstances. Come on, somebody. Despite a pandemic, despite crazy stuff happening in the world amidst racism and all the issues of life, God says you can still be fruitful because you are connected to me in such a way that if you just let me put in the system of cleaning, you can stay clean, which means you can stay fruitful. Cathoro, it's the where we get the word catheter. In other words, God puts the system in place to keep you clean in such a way that there is nothing that could block or obstruct the flow of who he is in your life. Oh, am I helping anybody? He, he puts a system in place to make sure you stay clean because sometimes the greatest attack of the enemy is not an attack of destruction. It's an attack of obstruction. It's an attack of interruption. If the enemy knows he can't kill you, steal from you, or destroy you, then the next thing he's coming for is to try to block what you and God got going on. Talk to me in this room for just a moment. But, but, but that's what we face. When we don't stay clean inside, that's when the bugs come. That's when the other stuff comes. You always know you're struggling in the cleaning on the inside when you start getting stuff that hadn't shown up in a while start coming in from the outside. He said, I'm going to give you a system, cathoro, catheter. What kind of system is this? Things like forgiveness. Forgiveness. Can I tell you, your unforgiveness could quench the flow between you and God concerning the ability to be fruitful? What you've yet to forgive, how you treat people, bitterness, anger, frustration, all of those things the enemy will send to obstruct the flow because he knows he can't stop God and he knows he can't stop you. So he has to put something in the middle that ceases, that makes the flow cease. He said, you got to stay clean. This pruning process, the people who are bearing more fruit, it's a cleaning process. Well, how are we made clean? I'm glad you asked because the next verse says, you are already clean from the word I spoke to you. Let me tell you how you stay clean, how you stay with no obstruction, is letting the word of God operate in your life in the way it was always intended to. You are only clean because of the word in your life. The Bible says that we can be made clean through the washing of his word. Every time you read scripture, you are receiving a cleaning somewhere in your life. Y'all ain't saying nothing. And if you're not getting clean, the question becomes, what are you not reading? You can't be clean from a word you don't read. The Bible is more than some systematic rule book. It's more than a constitution to a kingdom. It is the cleaning agent. By God gets all the stuff you don't need off of you. That every time you open up your Bible and read, God gets to clean someplace and reactivate the flow of fruitfulness in your life. Am I helping anybody this morning? Fruitfulness is the goal. I'm done right here. There's no way I can finish this. I need like a five-part series, amen. He says this then. He said, you're already clean because of the word. 
Because here's what I know about God. He would rather give you a sermon than a circumstance. I've learned this about God. That when you won't pay attention to his word, and you won't apply the word that you hear preached every week from this pulpit, if you won't use it, God will let a circumstance in to teach you what the word was trying to teach you all along. Let me, t- let me give it to you like this. God would rather give you a word than get in your world with something you didn't want. Oh. He said, but you are clean because you let the word do the work. Which takes me to this, and I'm done. He says in verse 4, after all this fruitful talk, vine, vine dresser, bearing fruit, not bearing fruit, being clean. He says, abide in me. And I will abide in you. Abide in me. And I will abide in you. Abide means to remain in, to dwell in. In other words, God is trying to tell you that when it comes to being relational with him, he doesn't want you to have a one moment with him or a one night stand or a Sunday morning stint. He wants you to have the kind of relationship that you understand that he didn't save you just to save you. He saved you to have a relationship with you for the rest of your life. He saved you so that you could remain in him and he could could remain in you abide abide in me and I in you let me tell you this and I'm done this is the beginning point of a doctrine that is essential to the church yet somewhere along the way we forgot it it's the doctrine of union that God has always desired it has always been his intention It has always been his standard of living that we would live in him. Union. You know union scriptures. In him we live and move and have our being. In Christ, in God, in Jesus. Every time you see in and then you see anything connected to him, it's a union scripture. I, here's Jesus, I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Union. How did it get lost then? How did we lose union in the body of Christ? The first reason we lost union is because we've lost our imagination. I know what some of you are saying, Pastor Josh, imagination? How is imagination biblical? Imagination? Let me put it like this, faith. We've lost faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Jocelyn is sitting right here on the front row. And the truth is, if I brought her up here right now and stood her beside me, I would say, hey, baby, you want to play Peter Pan? And she'd go, ah, daddy. She'd say, ah, I'd be Peter Pan, and she'd be hooked. And even though we're right here in the middle of church, you know what? This whole place would become Neverland. Why? Because she's got an imagination. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why Jesus said, except you become like a child. You can't have the things of the kingdom, huh? Because it's childlike faith, childlike imagination. You don't think imagination's important? Why does the Bible say to cast down every evil imagination? Why does the Bible say you've got to wear a helmet of salvation to quench the fiery darts of the enemy, the shield of faith? Why? Because the enemy works in imagination. Well, if the enemy works in imagination, that means God must have been the author of the imagination. There are some things you will only get in God with an imagination. 
It's to see you in him and him in you. In Greek, they would have had a special word for it. They wouldn't have even used the word Trinity. They would have called it perichoresis. Big Greek word, but it goes back to a Greek wedding, meaning, meaning that there would be three dancers, three dancers, all individuals. And if they were standing, you'd say, that's one, that's so-and-so, and that's so-and-so. But as they got together, they would start to dance. And the quicker they danced, you would lose sight of the individual and start to gain hold of the truth of the one. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why they wouldn't call it the Trinity. They would call it perichoresis because they believed that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were entwined in a dance of love over top of every believer. They believed that when Adam took his first breath and God breathed in, when he woke up, he woke up inside the dance of love right between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the truth is when you got born again into the kingdom and took your first breath as a believer, you woke up inside perichoresis, right inside of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dancing violently around your life. What am I trying to tell you? That you're never alone. I came to tell you that you're always loved. I came to tell you that God is closer than what you think he is. He right now, around every believer, is dancing his dance of love, inviting you into mystical union with him mystical union not magical mystical meaning can't it be can't be explained by your five senses y'all feel god Whew. can't be explained by your senses in other words this kind of union is only experienced by faith him and me and i and him because the truth is the only way you're ever going to really enjoy god and be effective in life is through union I am the vine, he said, and you are the branches. I am the one in me. If you get in me and I in you, it's a continual baptism into all that I am. Don't miss what I'm saying. Because some of us view baptism as a we came down the water and we got out and it ended. But if you ever get in union, it's a continual baptism into all that God ever is, ever will be in your life. My final statement is this. There's no way I can finish it. That perichoresis, union, is what makes us fruitful. The branches are not called to produce the fruit. They are, carry, they are called to bear the fruit that's being produced. Mystical union, union with God, is what frees you up from performance to enjoy relationship. Oh, don't miss what I'm saying. Because I grew up in a performance-based church. I grew up, they should have put no over top of our church doors. Can we do that? No. Can we go there? No. Can we have that? No, no, no. They could have, should have called the whole church? No. But yet they would turn around in the same breath and say, be holy. And I found out that being holy is hard when you try to be holy with your effort. Holy is hard when it's performance driven. Can I say this? You will get further and be more fruitful when your life revolves around being attached more than it is your effort. And so he says, I am the vine. 
You are the branches. If you're going to bear fruit, you got to have a union with me. That is so deep that you enjoy me and don't worry about the product. Wouldn't it be awesome to have your guts so rested, to be so rested on the inside that you stop staying up all night? Because let me tell you the consequence of being in union, stability. Stability. When you're in union, you become stable. Stable enough to enjoy your kids. Stable enough to enjoy your family. Stable enough to enjoy God. That you're not coming in here to perform and you hope that he loves the kind of praise you give him. You're hoping he heard your prayer. You're hoping, no, when you're in union, you just stay and know. Abide in me and I in you. And when you do, you move from fruit to more fruit, watch this, to much fruit. Stand to your feet, everybody. I feel God. Can you just slip up your hands for a second? Just slip up your hands for a second. Just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to open up your heart and your spirit to God's love for just a moment. I want you to close your eyes and become keenly aware that God is for you and not against you. I preach this message so that you can become aware that no matter what you did, no matter what they said, no matter how your past has been, no matter the trauma or the tragedy, I preach this message so you could get back into an awareness that God is not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. That God's viewpoint of your life has not changed. He is still eager to be in union with you. Deep, consuming relationship where they can't tell the difference of it, whether it's him or you whenever you speak. Woo. Him or you whenever you move. Him and you whenever you talk. Union, I want you to open up your mouth right now as Pastor John comes, and I want you to say, God, God, I open up my heart. I open up my heart, God to receive of your love in a greater way. I'm telling you, there are people in this room with a past, with pain. You've been through some stuff and it has tainted your view of God. You feel like God is angry and I came to tell you that God is madly in love with you and desires uh, to be in you and abide in you as you abide in him. Come on, slip up your hands, sing, Pastor John. He loves us, oh, how he loves Someone, if you know he loves you.
Pastor Josh, you gave us some heavy truths today. And I see this whole union thing. And I know I'm called to have this kind of relationship with your relationship where you and I blend together. We are one. How do I get there? Number one, you have to accept the fact that you're already accepted. That your identity is accepted. You are not fighting for his love, performing for his love. You have already been accepted into the beloved. Why would he call us beloved? Because that's all we're ever going to be. In him we're only, only ever going to be loved. Constantly, consistently loved. But as long as you're looking at you and not looking under Jesus, you will always think that something is so wrong that he can never love you again. But how many know Jesus paid a price on a cross so that we could be permanently accepted? And though our righteousness be as filthy rags, we are accepted into the beloved. Not by our works, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ. you got to be accepted. you got to accept the fact that you're accepted. Lastly, you got to learn how to draw off of his fullness. Jesus is full always. God never runs out. Come on, somebody. I said God never runs out. He never runs out of joy. He never runs out of peace. He never runs out of fire. He never runs out. He never runs out. And being in union with him means that if I'm connected with him, if he doesn't run out, I won't either. No matter how tough it is, depressed I feel, how much peace I lack, the truth is being in union with God means I get the constant and consistent supply of all God is when I draw upon his fullness when I praise him and worship him. So today, the Holy Spirit brought me in this room to ask you a question. Because prophetically, I believe our church is about to move into one of the greatest seasons of soul winning and growth that we have ever seen. And God is looking for fruitful people that are in union with Him that He can use to do mighty and great works. Is there anybody ready to receive that today? Then here's the question. God told me to ask you, what is the state of your union? Are you connected in the vine? Are you disconnected? Because the text said, not Pastor Josh, apart from me, you can do nothing. Anything of eternal and has the weight of the kingdom, you can't accomplish without God. And if you want God-sized stuff, you have to come into God-sized relationship. And not relationship on your terms, but relationship on His perfect, present union. If that's you in this room, slip up your hands. And I want you to open up your spirit. And I tell, promise there's about to be a release from the vine into every branch. There's about to be a release from the vine into every branch. Get ready? He's going to fill you up as you pull on his fullness. Are you ready? Open up your mouth and begin to worship all across this room. Come on, Pastor John. Come on, Pastor John. What we know, we now receive. What we know, we now receive. Father, release it. Release it in your people.
Lord, just one more time. Just keep it right there. Say it out. going to enjoy God on the next level and be effective in your life's calling is coming into union we are trying to fix the world's problems without first being in union with the Father because here's what I know union will bring you into communion and if you come into communion it won't be long before there's unity our unity with our brothers and sisters is a consequence of being in union and communion with God. If you'll come into this, God will fix all that. Because it's Him and you, and you and Him, and a fruitful life. I want to pray over you before I leave. And I want to pray that God would make you fruitful in this next season. For this is the intended standard of God, that we would be in union and become fruitful. Father. I pray in the name of Jesus over every man and every woman that God, you would make us fruitful in this next season. That as you watch over us and you look at us, that you would lift our branches and find much fruit. God, that you would take that fruit and feed our city, feed our families, feed our co-workers. And God, that they would taste and see that you're good. God, I preach this word like you gave it. God, I've been utterly wrecked by your love for me. I pray, Lord, let others, let others feel that extension of your love to them. And God, let us live life permanently in union with you so that we might change the world around us. In Jesus' mighty name, if there's any fruitful people. Thank you for joining us for today's message. You can continue to be a part of all that God is doing here at Calvary Christian Center. You can text to give at 386-866-3060, or you can give at calvaryfl.com give. We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and also for you to share this podcast with your community, your family, and your friends. Again, thank you for joining us.